AKA Scene Podcast. We're coming to you live from Cole Creative in downtown Wilkes-Barre. I'm Rich Howells. I'm the founder and editor of NEPA Scene. And as you can see, I do not have my, uh, my co-host with me tonight, but that's just fine because we have plenty to talk about with our, our guest here, uh, John McCulloch, who is an award-winning uh, director, producer, and filmmaker uh, who's living in Waverly, who uh, made the documentary uh, The Man Who Would Be Polka King, which inspired the new movie The Polka King starring Jack Black. Uh, that premieres on Netflix this Friday. Uh, so we're going to talk about uh, the making of his film, about the uh, Hazleton uh, Polka King turned con man, uh, Jan Luan, and uh, what it's like seeing his uh, local story being made into a, a major uh, Hollywood production, uh, capturing the real-life stories uh, on an indie budget, uh, meeting the cast uh, from this movie, uh, attending the Sundance premiere, uh, and uh, his recent work on WVIA and, and much, much more. So if you're interested in indie filmmaking, uh, if you're interested in uh, this new uh, Jack Black movie, which it seems a lot of our readers are, every time we post about the Polka King for the last two years we've been following this story, everyone seems to have their own opinions and comments and uh, have been sharing the hell out of this story. So now is your chance to uh, ask those questions uh, with the original filmmaker, uh, who really got the ball rolling in terms of getting the story out there uh, to a larger audience uh, and, and eventually getting the uh, attention of Jack Black and so much more. So if you wanna, if you want us to, uh, if you have any questions or comments or anything, uh, please feel free to jump in in the comments down below. Uh, we'll address those uh, later on in the show. Um, uh, I, th I think it's also interesting to note um, we we would have had. Possibly one of uh, the, the local musicians uh, who uh, was in the movie uh, on the show tonight, but he is busy playing uh, The Late Show with Stephen Colbert tonight. So his show's a little bit bigger than ours, so I can understand why uh, he, he chose that one uh, over our show. Uh, but there's actually a few local musicians who went out to New York today to film that. So you can watch that later tonight after this broadcast is over. Uh, when Stephen Colbert is on tonight, uh, Jack Black will be on there performing songs from this movie uh, to promote the movie and, and uh, with some of the original band members that actually played with Jan, which is, which is pretty cool in itself. Um, so uh, make sure you tune into that uh, after the show. Um, but before we get to the interview, uh, we have a few uh, beers to drink. Uh, <laughs> We have uh, these, these wonderful crawlers from Beer Boys in Wilkes-Barre. And they have 72 beers on tap, uh, at least 20 uh, from Pennsylvania breweries, usually more. Um, these guys are, are uh, committed to craft, uh, and they have some really, really uh, great events going on, uh, especially next Saturday, January 20th. Beer Boys is hosting their 18th anniversary party with 18 different beers from uh, Trogues Brewing in Hershey. Uh, I know Trogues is very popular around here. Uh, you know, during the holidays, they make a lot of stuff that people are into as well. Uh, they're going to have some limited releases, scratch beers, seasonals. Uh, they're going to tap a cask. So there's plenty of stuff going on there. So if you're a craft beer fan, uh, that is the party to go to. Every year, they, they always do an awesome job. Uh, this one in particular is going to be great because uh, you're going to be supporting a local brewery in, in Trogues. Uh, tonight, we have uh, three beers from uh, Miss Pillion River. Uh, we have the Not Today Satan IPA. That's that's a that that's a perfect name in itself. Uh, Yam Beer Miss Betty. 
I'm not sure what to expect from that one. And Wonka Bar Milk Stout. Uh, that one sounds pretty cool, too. So uh, we'll, we'll let our, our guests decide which one which one you want to dive into. Well, I'm going to go with the IPA. All right. Not IPA. today, Satan. Yes. <laughs> IPA. Uh, this is a, a good 7.3. So this is... is the, that's the median alcohol level. Yeah, yeah. This is, this is right in the middle here. Uh, the Wonka Bar is a 6.3. Oh, the yam beer, I don't know what the hell that's going to be. That's 8%. Sounds like a Karen Finley thing. Right. <laughs> I don't know how many people got that reference. <laughs> well, you're tuned into the wrong show if you didn't. Uh, we also want to give a, a shout-out to our uh, newest sponsor, the V-Spot. Um, they have one of the most popular uh, bars in northeastern Pennsylvania, live entertainment every night of the week. Uh, this week... They have uh, Jordan Ramirez uh, tonight, who was on the podcast uh, uh, about a month or two ago with Fake Fight. Uh, Mark uh, Storioka on Thursday. Uh, Flaxy Morgan with uh, Top 40 Songs, uh, 80s and Classic Rock on uh, Friday. Uh, and uh, Lost Dogs, which is a tribute to Pearl Jam uh, on Saturday. Uh, and, I mean, who doesn't love Pearl Jam? And uh, Sunday is Karaoke with uh, DJ Huff. Uh, they also have a fundraiser that I make sure I want to plug. Uh, this, uh, uh, next Sunday, uh, January 28th, for Jackson V, who's a local musician. Uh, anybody who knows him knows he's a great guy. He's always doing these benefits for everybody else, so now it's time to, uh, to pay him back uh, with, with one. He's had some health issues recently, so uh, make sure you go out to that. It's January 28th. It's three different venues, uh, the V-Spot, Waldo's Tavern, and Morgan's Pub. be hosting music all day. Uh, it's an all-day event, uh, lots, lots of really cool local acts, $5 at each venue or $10 for a jumper pass. You can go to all three if you'd like. Um, definitely go and support Jackson. Uh, we also want to give a shout-out to uh, the Keys in downtown Scranton. Their open mic is on Thursday. Uh, Peculiar Culinary Company will be returning on Friday with a uh, preview of the uh, Peculiar Slurp Shop, uh, which is opening up uh, about a month or, or so away uh, a block up the street on uh, Penn Avenue. So uh, I went last week to the event that they had there, and it was sold out before I got there. So uh, if it's something you really are interested in, obviously it's going to be very popular when it opens. Go at 5 o'clock. Go, go at the beginning. Otherwise, uh, they actually ran out of ramen noodles, which I don't know. You're a ramen noodle place, and you run out of ramen noodles, so it must be popular. So uh, be sure to check that out. And then afterwards, uh, that Friday night is going to be a uh, goth and post-punk dance party. So if that's your kind of thing, uh, throw on some black and white makeup uh, and your fishnets and dig them out of the closet there and, and head down to uh, into that. That's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, we also want to shout out to uh, Loyalty Barbershop and Shade Parlor. Uh, they have locations in Scranton, Archibald, and a new one in Wilkes-Barre on South Main Street, uh, where the old Cafe Metro used to be. Now, usually we have uh, some kind of banter with our other uh, <laughs> our other co-hosts, so we do, we do not have them tonight. Uh, John, uh, his wife just had a kid, so I can understand why uh, you know he's got some other things that, that he's got to take care of. And Brittany just came down with the flu, so uh, she has awful luck when it comes to that kind of stuff. You should have a little cardboard stand-ups. We <laughs> should. We should. We should get them printed. Uh, so, uh, the first thing that I want to get into uh, with, with you, John, is uh, 
you know, what was filmmaking and, and producing multimedia, was that something that you always wanted to do or is that kind of something you fell into? <clears throat> well, you know, originally I always thought I was going to go into journalism. Mm. And um, that was kind of uh, what I was thinking about in high school and even when I entered, uh, I went to Notre Dame undergraduate. Mm. And uh, that year, freshman year, I took a, a class on film and uh, it just kind of, that sparked really, I mean, I always liked film, but I never thought of it as a potential career. Or I never really thought about the mechanics of it. It was really about editing and how the language of cinema comes together, you know, through mm. the shots and the juxtapositions and everything. And I really started thinking about it, wow, the language of cinema and film. And from there, I just kind of switched my major and went on there. I majored in film and TV at Notre Dame and then went on and got my master's at NYU. So, yeah, it really was, you know, writing's always been an aspect that I've, you know, that served me well, especially, in, you know, paid a lot of the bills through advertising, <laughs> copywriting and all that stuff. But, sure. yeah, I mean, journalism I thought I was going to do, so that kind of fits in with the whole documentary feel anyway, so. Right, yeah, you have to, and I don't think people realize that that's a big part of right. documentary filmmaking right. is, is that, and, and being able to, uh, you know, to, to stay uh, neutral during those types of things too which I think you see a lot like there's a lot of documentaries out very popular now because of Netflix uh, which we'll you know we'll talk about Netflix later but um, there's definitely the way that they're made uh, I see a lot of very persuasive argument sort of documentary as opposed to being neutral to all parties yeah you know that. it's interesting you bring it up because that's kind of like the Michael Moore mm -hmm. you know school where he like really yes. inserts himself into it and becomes more of a polemic mm -hmm. which and I'm not saying that he doesn't make you know, great movies are good movies, but if you're on the if you're on the fence with him, you know he's kind of almost preaching to his audience. Where I've always loved the documentaries right. where you um, you kind of portray you're kind of behind the scenes. You're not like really inserting your your voice strongly in terms of opinion, but you um, you give each side the opportunity to kind of you know speak their piece, and then you let the audience kind of, you know, decide. And that's the way that's the way we tried to do it with uh, the Man Who Would Be Polka King. But I've always kind of preferred this kind of fly-in-the-wall type documentaries mm. as opposed to, you know, like I didn't want to be the star of the doc and, and, and lead it in. I mean, it's just right. a different way of doing it, you know. But, um, yeah, I do agree. I think, because nothing's truly objective. The mere fact that sure. you're editing this, this material, you're making decisions in the editing room that is leading, it's still going to lead an, a narrative. And there's a million different ways you can tell the story and get a different, you know, you can still get your, you know, if you want to have an agenda, you can do it through editing. You don't have to really be in front of the camera doing it. Mm. You know, um, again, I, like you said, I kind of like to try to stay objective as possible. There's, um, it's, it's interesting to watch, uh, you know, if you're a, a film fan or, or somebody who watches a lot of movies, uh, independent filmmaking has really changed over the last couple of decades because now, there's so much more uh, ways to do it and more ways to reach an audience than maybe there were back in you know the 80s or the 90s or something like that, making a movie. Now, you guys were making this movie maybe mid-2000s? I started this. It's crazy how long it took, but I started like in around 2004, and mm -hmm. I shot on my own and with some people who helped out, you know, in between advertising jobs and with borrowed equipment and this and that for, you know, it took three years to do, and it just took three years to convince certain people to even come forward and be in it, especially, right. you know, victims or um, one of the key uh, Benedict Arnolds of the band who, like, kind of turned against Giannis to be good friends. It took yeah. me three years to convince him to come forward, and it would have been a much weaker documentary without that. Mm. So, you know, it takes as long as it takes. Right. But, yeah, we started, you know, the digital revolution had started to kind of already happen, because mm -hmm. I see what you're saying, you know, now with the availability of equipment, 
and you know you can edit feature films on a laptop right. you know and now with like DSLRs I mean the quality mm-hmm. that you can get I mean you can shoot 4k with it you know it's just insane right. and now I didn't have that then and we were shooting still standard def mini DV yeah. but it's become a much more you know democratized mm-hmm. process where it used to be uh, there was a, there was a, uh, it was hard to enter into it you know if you were shooting film back in the day it was just very expensive so right there you kind of you know there was a little bit of a block for people getting into it now anyone really can make a documentary if they want with very little output of money mm. you know it doesn't mean it's going to be good but you know <laughs> <laughs> could, you could shoot one on your iPhone for God's sake sure you know sure, it looked pretty darn good probably yeah so. Yeah. There's a lot of it. it uh, YouTube has really opened up a lot of that stuff too, where you see little mini docs. Yeah. And, and, uh, yeah. Well, video the, commentary yeah. and things yeah. like that. I mean, distribution now—it's crazy. I mean, like you know, I always think if I were in high school and I had this ability to just, you know, now <laughs> 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 that could even be good or bad, but yeah. Um, yeah, just you know, really, as a kid with a camera and a laptop, you can have the world watch your watch your work if you want you know would that have made uh, what you did a little bit easier do you think if, if maybe it was a few years later yeah I, i'm kind yeah i am a little bummed that i missed the 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 kind of the digital revolution in terms of editing because like when i came through school and even at nyu in the in, in the mid to late 90s it was they were still cutting on film they were just starting to transition to uh, digital, you know, nonlinear editing, which, you know, having like four years later, it would have been, you know, a revolution was occurring and we were still paying a good amount of money to go to a school to learn pretty much the dying embers of, you know, and I still, I love film. I mean, I love film. It's, I think it's a shame that we still can't see projected films in cinema. Right. But, um, I wouldn't want to go back to cutting film on a steam back. And <laughs> I mean, you know, it's just so much more convenient now with a, and, I mean, and now, of course, I do that all the time, and I know it, but to have had it younger, it would, have been, it would have been interesting to see, like, you know, how much more you could have done, because it was very expensive back then to do your films, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, you spent thousands and thousands of dollars doing a 16-millimeter film, and you had to get prints made, and, you know, you had to go to a mixing house. I mean, crazy, you know, much more expensive now. So then, again, that's the thing that kind of held a lot of people back from probably doing films back in, like, you know, 80s, 90s, and et cetera. Now, was, this some, was, was all this coming out of your pocket from the beginning? Or was it something where you found people to help? You mean help for the, the Polka King? Or? Yes, for the Polka King. Yeah, I foot the bill. I, I went um, nicely in debt on that. Um, well, I mean, not in debt, but yeah, I foot the bill. I, I bought all the equipment mm-hmm. and um, I got like some tiny grants. But, you know, it really, I was really in the red on that project for quite some time, really until um, the, the, the movie. Because the documentary. If you, I don't know if everyone knows, but there was a version that was done for True TV called. It was part of their uh, investigator series. It was called Mystery of the Polka King. That was their title. Ah, uh, yes, that's right. It was a TV version. So it was cut down a little. It was cut down, and they, that had a nice budget. Mm. And I could have probably walked away with with some money there. But what we did was we said, you know, we don't want to just do a TV version, and then that's it. Mm. And so, contractually. Uh, we were allowed to do our own independent feature version that we would own the rights to. But then to do that, we had to spend another year cutting, and, and it just gobbled up the budget. So I really never, like, made any kind of profit or anything. But right. what that did was that allowed me to have a film. I mean, my partner, Josh Brown, who came on board in post-production, um, and he was pretty essential in getting the true TV deal and everything. That's why he's kind of a true partner on this. Um, that allowed us to have a film that we could take to film festivals and, you know, Lo and behold, that's where it, you know it, it was seen by one of the producers, and then 
you know, the rest is history. He took it to Jack Black and it got made into a movie. So mm -hmm. if we hadn't have done that version and had that, you know, I'm much <laughs> happier in the long run that we did that than, you know, I just took the money and run from, a, you know, a TV version of it. But, yeah. Wouldn't have had the payoff in the long run. <laughs> yeah, it took like 13 years for me to finally, <laughs> finally get in the black on it. <laughs> so, yeah, documentary film linking is not necessarily a real profitable thing. I would always say get funding up front if you can. But, you well, know. I can say journalism isn't either. So, no, I know. So I know either yeah, either yeah. way, you probably would have. No, I'm looking. Yeah, I look at the landscape of journalism now and everything. It's probably <laughs> a good thing I went more. Yeah. Even though I spent a lot of of, of time in uh, my career in advertising, just because that's where the you know, that's where you make the money. But right. Unfortunately, you gotta pay the bills. <laughs> so, um, I, I'm sure you've told uh, the story of uh, Yan Luan uh, many times. Uh, but uh, for those who maybe uh, are, are still not familiar uh, with, with what happened, uh, could you give us kind of a, a brief summary? Of, like how, how it all came to be? Yeah, or whatever? The, the, of, the, the story, of his story and then how you got involved. Well, his story is, is briefly, he was, uh, you know, he was from Poland. He was living in Poland during the Cold War. And he was an entertainer there. And if you actually, if you go on YouTube, you can find clips of him in the 60s. 60s television in Poland on shows, and it's pretty fun. It's pretty interesting. I mean, it's it's really amazing to think of his life arc as crazy. Right. But um, I think he has a brother in Poland who found these old, uh, you know, archival, you know, footage, you know, TV footage from whatever, and he's uploaded it. But so Jan was, um, he was he would tour extensively throughout the Soviet Union and this and that, and then there happened to be in the 60s a little bit of a loosening in the cultural, you know. Uh, I guess the cultural atmosphere there for a bit, and so they were allowing um, some exchange programs where Jan, it was part of a musical troupe, and they was allowed to go tour the West. Mm. And uh, they were kind of tightly watched, but he would tour Canada and a little bit of America and this and that. And I think he, he did it a couple times, and he had always planned, I guess after a couple, couple times of, of, of visiting, he, he planned to defect. Mm. So he, one time, he, he, he just, I, I, he met someone who was a used car dealer, and he secretly, I mean, the story you never totally know, but the, and, and this is going back, because I have to go back on memory, because we, sure. we never really packed all this into the original doc, because it just was, would have been too much, but he made a deal to, like, buy a car, <laughs> and a car waiting for him, or something like this, and um, he somehow snuck away during, you know, one of their performances or whatever, and got in his car, and just, like, uh, or no, I know what it was. I'm sorry. I know it. Yeah. He, he got permission to get a car here in the West and bring it back to Poland. Oh, okay. That was his cover story. Okay, now I remember. Sorry. So, <laughs> so they're like, okay, fine. And he goes, they go, you get your car, and then you follow the bus to the port, and we're, we're going we're gonna, to we're, – and he goes, oh, yes, yes, I follow. So they're following and following. He tells the story. It's so funny. And, and they're, you know, because they're heading back to Poland, and yeah. he just takes an exit. <laughs> and they never saw him again. <laughs> And he said he always remembers the bus driver was watching him as he was like, you know, he's like, oh. <laughs> his stories are pretty crazy. So, and that was Canada. Right. And so he, he, he ended up somehow defecting to Canada and he lived there for 10 years. And then um, he had a whole, he had a whole another, fa he had a wife there and everything. A whole other family there, but then uh, that kind of all fell apart and he came to uh, Hazelden, Pennsylvania. Of all places. Yes. Um, he was doing like a telethon there and um the thing is he discovered it's very interesting he was kind of into classical music and he actually always wanted to be like a uh, um a kind of a crooner 
Mm. He didn't. He never really saw himself as being a polka star. But he, and in fact, polka music doesn't really exist in Poland the way it exists here. It's not. It's not really. It's an Americanized kind of form of that ethnic music, from what Jan tells me. And um, so, but he saw this music and he said, "Wow, you know, I could probably make a killing with this. You know, um, I could. You know, I could because he has some great musical chops." So. He settled in Hazleton, met Rhonda, you know, his, his young wife at the time, and then slowly built up this music empire worth millions of dollars, had a 10-year 10 10 year stint at the Trump Taj Mahal in Atlantic City, um, you know, traveled the country, was na nominated for a Grammy. He also led um, uh, tours to Europe, travel tours, where over the course of 10 years, he... Uh, uh, people, he, he was able to lead 3,000 people to have face-to-face -face meetings with the Pope, Pope John Paul II. So, I mean, really thriving, crazy career. And then it, unfortunately for a lot of people, um, they found out that most of it was based on, you know, like the Bernie Madoff Ponzi schemes. In fact, I always call them the Bernie Madoff of the polka world. It was, <laughs> it was kind of all illusionary, and it was based on uh, illegal, um, illegal, you know, investments into his corporations and, you know, to the tunes of millions of dollars that funded it. And all came crashing down. He ended up going to prison. So um, that's the story, you know, in a nutshell, right. really. And but there's a lot more to it. There's tragedy and crazy stuff. You know, there's a Mrs. Pennsylvania pageant that was rigged and all this. <laughs> but you wanted me to get to how I get into it. How I got into yeah, it. Well, I mean, how did you first hear about? It? Well, here's the thing. I was. I have family in the region. I never grew up here, but I used to always visit here as a kid, and we lived all over the country. And I was living in Manhattan doing advertising. I was really wanted to try to get out of it and back into filmmaking. So I decided to leave and I, w I'd move, I was, my, an uncle of mine had, a, had an apartment that I could rent for nothing and I was going to be like Charles Bukowski and just like, you know, I was going to work on a, you know, work on, um, uh, uh, in, you know, independent screenplays and this and that and write for about a year and I was going to, always just going to go back to New York but I was going to have some screenplays and try, you know. In the meantime, I, uh, people kind of alerted me to this, you know, Jan Lawan who was pretty, Pretty funny, pretty uh, you know, interesting character, and he kind of heard about me because I was out in the um, in the region, and he knew I was from New York, and you know, figured I was a writer and this and that, and he approached me. Um, first, what he did was he caught me tickets to a show in Atlantic City, actually, mm -hmm. and I saw that and he came out on like a white stallion, and he had like um, you know all these this crowd of like you know you know older women, and he would like throw the handkerchiefs like Elvis, and he was like dressed like you know kind of an Elvis and a Bobby you know Elvis slash Bobby Vinton, and it was crazy, and I was like wow this is quite a scene, like I never I never even really knew anything about polka, and it was right. unbelievably successful. I'm mean, coming out on a stallion in the Trump Taj Mahal and singing ole ole, <laughs> so it was a crazy scene, and I, and he's like oh so what do you think you like? And I'm like, yeah, it's great, man. And he said, well, you know, I want you to do my book. I want to do a book. I want to do my life story. I want you to do my life story. And I was like, you know, first, it's not really, I really want to do, I'm more of a filmmaker. And my background wasn't even really documentaries. It was, you know, dramatic filmmaking really is kind of what I originally wanted to do. And um, I just told him, I see your story as this kind of, you know, it's a great immigrant has made good. And it's an interesting story, but it's kind of like, just a rise, 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 and then it, I just didn't, it, there wasn't a hook to me, and I just, I turned him down, basically. I said, you know, I think your story's great, you're successful, it's, it's been a real success story, but yeah, I just don't really want to, you know, write your life story. Right. And so I turned him down, and then a year later, he asked if he would meet with me again. And he said, he, 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 he asked me again if I would do it. And I said, John, I just, I told you, and he goes, well, I, there's a wrinkle, there's a wrinkle in the story you might be interested in. And I'm like, yeah. And he goes, well, uh, what if I tell you I, I'd probably be going to jail? And I'm like, what? <laughs> and then so I knew early. He goes, yeah, yeah, I've done some things. And, <laughs> you know, and uh, he said basically, you know, he's probably going to go to prison. 
And he started kind of laying it out. And then, you know, a light bulb went off. I go, now here's a hook. Because now you've got this unbelievable rise, but now a tragic fall. It's like Shakespearean, you know. It yeah, becomes well, tragedy. Yeah. And so I thought, wow, so this is the real story then. Because you've got this incredible, you know, and then how did it all unravel? How did, you know, and so I, but he still wanted me to do a book, mm. you know, and, and um, so I talked to a couple of friends in New York and they're like, you know, it sounds like it really make an interesting documentary. So I went back to him. I said, I don't really want to write a book. You know, it's not my thing or not my interest. And I go, but I really, I'd be interested in doing a documentary on it. But it has to, you know, show the good, the bad, and the ugly. It's not going to be a puff piece. It's right. got to really be, you know, play it straight down the line. And to his credit, then he thought about it, and he came back to me and said, um, yeah, okay, let's do it. And um, he'll give me access to, you know, his family agree. I had to actually sit down with um, he and his son to kind of make my case because they wanted to make sure I wasn't exploiting it and all that. And obviously right. he was about to go to prison, so they were very protective, which I understand. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I just told him, and I told, you know, his son Daniel as well. I said, you know, you know i got to interview victims. I got, they have to have their say, and it's got to be really, you know, both sides. I'll let the audience do. so they, they they agreed to it and that's kind of how it happened and you know, I went off to prison you know and so like I was shooting this while he was in prison I'd be like writing him letters asking him for like you know because uh, I needed like timelines and you know I was sure. I was researching as I was going along and left yeah. NC, I'd like yawn tell me more about your days in you know Canada and so I'd get these like, <laughs> letters from prison and yeah it was, it was crazy but you know that's how it started but it really took a lot I thought not having ever done a documentary I thought oh I can bang this out in a year <laughs> but now it took like three years just to you know do it all. But. Well, that's the interesting thing about uh, documentaries that that I've read about the making of and things like that is it seems each one of them uh, the filmmakers are going to come in at a different period in the story. Some people come in after the whole story's finished and they're kind of doing a, an aftermath of going back and and like reconstructing. What's happened. Then there's people that are like they're in the middle of filming something else. And then it becomes another story yeah, and stuff like yeah. that. No, that's so it's so true. interesting that you know yeah. you were you were kind of right there when you needed to be in terms of this story developing and, and you know coming out. Yeah, yeah, and you know, I, and, and the, oh, an interesting thing about it is, and I think it's it's kind of interesting how it worked out. And it shows how like things that you think might be a mishap or, or something is detrimental, what turns into a positive. I had I worked for months to uh, secure the rights to interview him in prison. And uh, Delaware, like, kept stringing me along, and finally, like, like a week beforehand, they said, okay, we'll give you an hour, and that's it. And, you, and I'm like, oh, my God, great, great. And then, like, a day or two beforehand, Jan's lawyer told him, no way, you can't do this, and he nixed it, and they canceled it. And I was, like, devastated. I'm like, oh, I lost my jailhouse interview with Jan. Right. And I'm like, this is going to just, you know, really be detrimental. And the more and more... My, my partner Josh, in terms of the editing, thought about – and, you know, this is after when he came on board. He's like, you know, it actually makes Jan more mythical in the documentary because you never see him mm. in prison or telling his story. You only hear it from archival clips and other people, oh, and right. you see – so you see his story. You, you, and I think it would have deflated the sense of who is this Jan Lewan, this larger-than-life character, <laughs> if you would have cut to him, you know, looking all down and horrible and, you know, he'd lost a lot of weight and, you know – in prison, so I, I I think it actually really worked her advantage that that whole thing. I think it would have kind of just I don't know deflated this kind of mythical kind of you know <laughs> entertainer you know character about him, which is kind of interesting. So yeah, the during the process of it, you never know which kind of little turns it'll take. You know, um, I was able to get at least a shot of him. They were doing a hearing where he was trying to get 
transferred somewhere, and then they alerted me, and so I knew I could only because I had no shots of him currently in prison. I had some photos they had sent, but mm-hmm. and I, I knew I could only get him from when he was. They were transferring him from one building to another, and he's in chains. And you can see uh, it in the documentary. Yeah. So I'm out there with the camera, <laughs> and uh, I'm waiting. And it's like you know, and I'm like, oh, I guess everything okay. This is my one chance to get the shot, you know. And here he comes, and it is kind of a powerful moment because you never do see him other than the archival footage. Him, you know, he's all glorious looking, and then you do see him in chains and the, and, and the prison outfit. And it's kind of. It's kind of shocking. But we were very also lucky where with Jan's story, because Jan being, um, you know, Jan's a, an entertainer. And he's very narcissistic. He's into himself. He had a, uh, and as well, you know, that's, that's part of the game. That's yeah. why he's so successful. <laughs> right. He had his own personal videographer follow him for 10 years. And every year they would do a, a roundup DVD. They would sell like you know, the year in review with Jan the one. <laughs> so there was hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours of archival footage on him mm. shot by his, 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 basically his personal documentarian John Katerba, who's actually portrayed in the film, mm-hmm. too. It's pretty funny. So, and, you know, John gave us access to footage. So that's why we had so much, you know, if we didn't have any archival, it would have been very hard to tell this story. Sure. Um, you know, if you only had photos. But we had so much access to, uh, to video and whatnot of, of, basically, John documented his years. <laughs> so we just kind of cherry-picked some of that for the archival, which was great. You know? Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's a huge resource that maybe other yeah. filmmakers wouldn't have gotten. And if you're going to do a documentary, think about that before you get into it. Do you have access to that? Because if you don't, you're going to have to do recreations of some sort or you know and that gets real sticky so we were lucky we didn't have to do any dramatic recreations or a lot of those kind of will you know if they're not done the right way they can come off yeah yeah i mean when they're done well they work but you know then that adds to expense too because you've got to like you know you've got to get production for that you've got to get actors so try to have good archival (laughs) that's my uh recommendation we'll, we'll, we'll definitely get into some uh some advice uh later on too as well um now the um the the interesting thing and and uh, i i think is the thing that people see from the story right away is obviously his grand personality and what a what a character this guy was and stuff but there's such a dark element to this story too there's such a a, a sad depressing sort of side to it as well that you had to capture. So what was it like having to get into that part of it and interview victims and, and, and talk about this kind of thing? Because these are people who saw him as a friend or as a hero or as somebody to look up to, as somebody they trusted, and then he essentially just, you know took their money and ran with it and, and left them yeah. bankrupt. No, totally. I mean, and that's, I think, you know, with all the hoopla of the film, and it's kind of focusing on, you know, the entertainment aspect and the larger-than-life yeah. character, I think it's really important not that that doesn't get lost. I mean, people lost their life savings. It changed their lives. It changed their retirement. You know, I know one woman um, had to, like, live in a trailer park where she had a, she had, would have had enough money to, you know, have a nice little condo or something. Wow. And uh, she I almost got her in the, in the documentary, but in the end uh, she wouldn't do it. I mean, a lot of people I talked to wouldn't do it because, A, they were so embarrassed. Or, you know, and they just didn't want to relive it. But, right. yeah, that was tough because I had to get some victims for the documentary, you know, victims of the crime. And um, I, uh, it, it, that was tough because I, I had the lists um, of all the people. You know, I had the legal list of all the people who made claims. Yeah. So I had their contacts. And I remember sitting down and just cold calling people. And that was just uh, – some people would be like, <laughs> why would you ever want to call me and remind me? You know, I mean I, I, oh. people screaming at me, and I, understandably. You know, right. you know, and I tried to say I really want to get your side of the story. But in the end, you know, it's like you know, they probably felt I was going to exploit them or what, or they just didn't want to talk about it. You know, good example, one guy was an, not only an accountant, he taught – 
he was a CPA who taught like um, um, finance at, in, at a junior college or something like that. And he's like, and he invested. And he's oh, like, wow. John, I got to tell you, because what would it look like? I tell people, I tell my students every day if it's too good to be true. Yeah. Don't do it. He goes, and here I am. I invested in a Ponzi scheme. He goes, there's no way I'm going to do this documentary, <laughs> you know. And But there were other people. It just it was really sad, you know. Yeah. And it's like um, they were like hurt. They, and it's what's amazing too about the – here's the thing about like Ponzi schemes and like with Jan and what I've learned a lot about it is they tend to be crimes of affinity where like Jan didn't go after – didn't go pitch it to uh, Jewish populations. Or he didn't go to, you know, um, you know, the Scottish, you know, he, Jan knew his, his best audience was, you know, he went for, you know, po Polish population, heavy Polish population in this region, um, heavily Catholic. Jan, you know, took people to see the Pope. That looks really good, you know, right. and he had a lot of credibility. He was a first generation from Poland, you know, and so every button that he pushed rang real true, you know, that this guy's a guy who could be trusted. I mean, you know, <laughs> who, you know, he's friends with the Pope. Sure. So... A lot of people who invested in him, they that generation were somehow able to save amazing amounts of money. Like I remember like this one couple, they were like bus drivers, like school bus drivers. They were able to invest like a couple hundred thousands, like two or three hundred thousand dollars with this guy. Like how did they save that? You know, but that, that was that generation where they were able to do that. And unfortunately, they, they, they got taken in. And with the Ponzi scheme, it's usually, you know, some people are, are making money from it. Like, like their friend was showing them checks he was getting, you know, because some people do get, they'll take checks out, you know, they'll, they'll get their percentage every month or whatever. And he goes, look, I'm getting great interest rates. But a lot of people, what they do is they just keep it in. Right. Because they want it to, you know, keep accumulating. So they just thought that they literally were making, um, Jan told them you can make 12%. Originally, guaranteed – first of all, you, sh you can't guarantee anything, and that's one of the problems. But guaranteed 12% returns. I mean that's high. Now, when, when things got really kind of tight for him and he, he needed people to keep – he started guaranteeing 20% returns. So you're telling you can double your money in five years. Now, if you have $200,000 and now you're going to have $400,000, now you're going right. to – So, you know, and then that's when people start saying, whoa, well, they got greedy. And, you know, and yes, there is greed in a Ponzi scheme definitely, but – you know, the, these weren't like um, really like financially like uh, you know they you know they didn't have degrees in finance and this and that. They they right. basically trusted him. They trusted their friends and you know and just and some people were making money and this and that. And so yeah, but um, it kind of strayed a little bit from your how it was dealing. It, yeah, it was tough dealing. The victims that wanted to come forward though, they really wanted to come forward. They were angry mm. and they wanted their 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 tale told. So that was helpful. And. Um, and some would say, if you see the documentary, that they were a little bit too angry. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you remember, but I, I don't want to ruin it for anyone because I want people to see it. But sure. um, some people say they went a little too far in what they wanted to happen to Jan. But um, <laughs> but I don't know if I lost my life savings and all that. I don't I don't know how how I would feel, you know. But that was right. tough. But I had to do it. I had to have both sides, and also I had to have you know there. There were people who still to this day who lost money who completely support him and believe that you know he never meant wrong and had that he had been allowed to stay out of prison, mm -hmm. he could have worked and paid everyone back. You know, my what we tried to say in the documentary, if you look at the documents financially, he never was making really he never really was making money from his efforts. Sure. The money all came from the Ponzi scheme. That's the thing. The empire was a sham. The money, like the Trump Taj Mahal and all that, it was never bringing in enough money. Yeah. To uh, he was barely even making even on some of those shows, mm. and you know, and then he did have the store, the Amber store, and everything. Where, but he documents show he he claimed like hundreds of thousands of dollars of loss of losses a year on that, mm. you know. So you know, the claims always made. Oh well, he if he could have stayed out of prison, he would have paid everyone back. 
No, you know, the money wasn't there to do that. The money came from everyone, mm -hmm. you know. I mean, that's, that's my understanding from looking at the financial documents. Right. Yeah. Well, it's, it, it, it's interesting. Now I've, I've seen some of the early reviews of the new movie, and we'll, we'll get into that, but uh, the, the actual movie itself. But um, some of the things I've noticed is, is the, the Trump thing kind of stands out a little bit now. You know, people are like, oh, you know, he was, he was involved with Trump. Well, you know, now that he's president and people are talking about his financial situation and his investments and stuff like that, it's interesting uh, the, the story has uh, a resonance in that sense, too. Like, yeah, it's it kind of funny. It takes us this other dimension, although I, although I, would, I would say like Trump – Trump showed up at a couple shows, and there's some shots with him and stuff. But yeah, it's Trump not did, a huge he had, part of He had story. no knowledge of, of long, it is it is kind of ironic in a way yes. though, that that Jan would be would be you know have this long run at Trump. I mean, I can see definitely people making. I think it's more <laughs> but, of like the fact that they could get along. Like they seem like the kind of guys who you oh, know, Jan, a little bit uh, of an ego about themselves. Yes, you know, and, and Jan really likes Trump. Jan Jan loves Trump. He's mm. pro Trump, and and I've seen photos recently of Jan down at Mar Lago. There's a photo mm. with him and Trump. He and Trump with um, and. Um, uh, Melania. So, oh yeah, he's a big Trump fan. So, yeah, I don't know, but you know, yeah, I, I wouldn't tie them together in any financial way. <laughs> no, uh, no, but, um, in fact, I actually tried to get. I actually, I, I actually did try to get an interview with uh, Donald Trump uh, yeah. for the documentary years ago, and they, yeah. they never even responded. <laughs> I'm sure Donald was like, "Oh, what?" <laughs> but I, I did want to get like, yeah. it was a long shot, but I thought I'd try. You know, you, you always have to you always have yeah. to take that. I mean, there's a lot of interviews that I've applied for over the years, uh, whether it was with, you know, papers I used to be with, with the magazine. I'm always surprised about who will respond. You know, yeah, sometimes, no, totally. You know, you, totally. And, you know, the other thing, too, with documentaries, a lot of stuff ends up on the cutting room floor. Like, I had, like, a couple hundred hours of stuff, you know, that we shot. And there's, um, you know, Jan, Jan's lawyer was, a gr I thought, a great interview and really great, but just never really fit well in the dock, right. and um, Jan's musical arranger, another really great guy, gave me a great interview, and he didn't end up in the final cut, and I always felt badly about that, but it's just, you know, you got to do the cut that serves the narrative, and you can't just put someone in just because, well, he gave me my time, we got to put him in, you know, and so there's actually, yeah, there's a lot of outtakes, I should do a little uh, <laughs> page of outtakes. Yeah, I'm but, sure, um, I'm sure you probably have an Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of interesting stuff that ended up on the cutting room floor, but, you know, it's just the way it is. See if you can get on the DVD, maybe. Uh, or now it'd be uh, streaming. I, yeah, I could, I could, uh, <laughs> I could charge for hits. Yeah. <laughs> so the, um, uh, so speaking of the, the the new movie, when did you first hear that they were interested in the story and that they might turn it into, uh, you know, major motion picture? Well, here's the thing, and you know, this shows the story really does have resonance. You know, when I was even doing it, I thought, wow, this would make an amazing movie, mm. but. Um, I thought people wouldn't believe it, but um, we actually this this was a third go around, actually fourth go around. The first time we actually were contacted, and I'm forgetting the name of the team right now that did um, um oh gosh, they did a, the the Larry Flint film, oh, okay. and also the uh, what was the one that Tim Burton did on the uh, the Plan Nine guy? Uh, Ed Wood. Yeah, Ed Wood. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Larry. I'm blanking. Larry, because whatever should have, yeah, is is it? I, I should have, I should have done my homework on that. They, uh, his writing, his team, mm -hmm. you know, and they were they, and they did films on real people, you know, Ed Wood, Larry Flint. Right. They approached, great movies. Too. Yeah, and they're a great. I mean, really great team. They, their director of development, contacted us twice over the years hmm. about it. Just didn't do a follow up, but it was on their radar. It just shows as soon okay. as it's on Netflix, people in Hollywood were. It did register, <laughs> yeah. which I thought was kind of cool. And then um, 
another director, a British director who's done films, he he even got to the point where he was actually talking to Leon uh, Lewan about it and us about it, but then that, that didn't work out for various reasons. Mm. Third time around, a good buddy of mine who was a, was a director with um, Ridley Scott's company, RSA Films, mm. he wanted to make it. And we, we were film school buddies, and I was going to write the screenplay, and it was going to be really like and, – and, and he met with Jan, and Jan loved him and really wanted – to go that route, unfortunately, that fell through just because he had some personal family things that he had to deal with, and just it just was not right timing. So I figured, you know what, three that was the best it was ever going to get in terms of at least you know especially with my involvement creatively. And I figured it just wasn't going to happen. And then lo and behold, we get a call out of the blue by this producer David Permute, who um, he's got a long career in Hollywood. If you IMDb him, he's done some really cool stuff, and he he saw the film at a festival and uh, contacted us. We met with him in New York, Josh and I, and he said, yeah, I'd just like it to option it for a year, kick it around, see if I can get some interest. Mm-hmm. And um, lo and behold, like about six or seven months after that, he said, you know, it's some exciting news. Jack Black wants to, wants to do it. I'm like, wow. And I hadn't even really thought of Jack as the, you know, because it's funny, earlier on, um, one, of the, one of the directors who wanted to do it, he was tossing around the name of Sam Rockwell. Mm. Which would have been interesting, right? Yeah, he's a great actor. And I thought, great casting choice, Marissa Tomei as Rhonda. Oh, okay. Which which would have been interesting, maybe. But I understand why they went with Jennifer, because uh, Jenny Slate in this one, because, you know, Marissa's a little bit older. That would have been the older Rhonda, not the younger, and they're telling the story. Right, right, right. But I thought that was a very interesting idea. Now, my buddy who wanted to do it, his idea would have been Matt Damon. (laughs) And you know how Matt's like, you know, he had done that film with... um, Oh gosh, uh, it was, uh, the Liberace film and everything. Oh, so yes. we thought, like you know, he with the wig and, and I think he could have pulled it off. It would have been interesting. Yeah, yeah, I could see. That. I mean, you never know. It's interesting to think about how the casting choices, you know, what direction. But Jack, Jack was great for it though because he like, uh, first of all, he's a magician. Yeah. So he's like he understands that, and he just he really like nailed the accent, and he's like, yeah. He's like when you see it, you'll 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 you'll. And see. it's it's funny because listening to the trailer, I think if someone didn't know the original guy, wasn't familiar with him, they'd be like, oh, that accent sounds real real bad. Like that's real. No, it's real. real. Silly accent. No, it's real. And then you you actually hear him talking. You're like, no, actually, he sounds no, a he lot like, like him, he, and he looks like him a lot too. Well, it's funny because when we were on the set. Um, Jack doesn't break character, so he stayed, like, when I talked to him the whole time on the set, he, he, he talked like this to me all the time. He, John, I see your documentary. I know, first 15 minutes, I must play this. I must, I was born to play this role. And I, I just so badly wanted to talk to him as Jack Black, but. Yeah. <laughs> I think one of the reasons he wanted to stay that, keep that accent, because he was going off, he's like, hey, John, hey, you know, I really, okay, now I must talk like this, you know. Right, yeah, he probably, the, the accent probably would have went in and out. I, that's what I think. Camera. Yeah. Which, and it makes sense, but also, sure. um. Jan, when I was on the set, uh, when they were shooting, Jan Lawan was there because he was there for a day. Yeah. And um, it was really funny because you had Jack talking like Jan the whole time and Jan talking like how Jan talks. So literally it was like having doubles. <laughs> oh, and wow. it was like, you know, and they'd be doing a performance and they'd go, oh, stop, stop. Uh, Jan, where is Jan? Jan, I need to, I need to, uh, direct Jan. And you and and hear, Jack, Jack, I'm coming. Jack, I'm coming. <laughs> and he goes, Jan, when you do handkerchief, how how you throw? You throw like this? He goes, no, no, let me show you, Jack. Let me. It was like, and, and, and it's so funny because you looked at the producers and the crew and everyone's like, oh, my God. Right. <laughs> it was like having two Luans there and they were talking in their own language. Oh, thank you, Jan. You good. Thank you. Okay, I good now. Let's, let's do playback. <laughs> it was just hilarious. And I, and, now, and I can do Jan pretty well because I, years and years and years of just talking to him. 
Right. So yeah, that's no. He does. He does talk that way. He really does. That's fine. His accent's still pretty, pretty, uh, pretty apparent. So, uh, you know, what was it like being on, on the set? Of, now, were you invited down, or did they, they just call you up one day and say, hey, come back? Yeah, down? no, they said, they said show up whenever you want. Yeah, they okay. were great about it. I mean, That's it, was, really cool. it was in Rhode Island, so it was a little bit. I mean, it, I, I had hoped if they had shot it in this region, I, you know, it could have yeah, been a lot. I mean, that would have been nice. But I guess it's all about tax breaks. and Right. It's pretty funny, though. If you see it, they, they somehow made Rhode Island kind of look pretty, you know, pretty close to. In their art direction, they, they recreated his store. They recreated a lot. I mean, yeah, you, you totally, they totally sell it. Like you can't, you can't really tell a difference. Hmm. So that, uh, but yeah, I was on the set. It was pretty fun. Um, it went two days. So uh, yeah. It so was, you got a good picture of what was going on. Yeah, so. yeah, it was fun. And, and like Jenny Slate's awesome. Jason Schwartzman is really, really funny. Now and they're he, all every. He's playing an interesting character because he's kind of an amalgam of people. He's not yes. necessarily one playing one person. Yes. Yeah. He's. Based on their accordion player, um, kind of. I probably shouldn't even say that because I <laughs> want to avoid. Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, if you see the doc, you see the documentary, and you'll know who he's based on. I'll, I'll just say that. But um, um, and of course, they took liberties, and they, they, they you know, sure. certain characters aren't exactly how they were. I mean, um, Bobo the Bear. There was never a Bobo the Bear. <laughs> there was a Jojo the Clown. Mm. Yeah, but totally different character. They kind of, but um. Yeah, no, it was it was fun though. It was interesting to, I mean, the way they recreated everything. It's 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 really uh, it was kind of a hoot to see. It's kind of bizarre, really. Yeah. To, to think about it, because I remember uh, when I left New York, and people were like, "What are you doing?" And I'm like, "I'm like getting up on a cold morning." Like Jan, I remember once Jan was having one of his last sad little performances at a Holiday Inn up in up somewhere in New York. It was freezing cold, and it was like you know he was just desperately trying to like do anything he could before he went into prison, and it was just such a fall. From the glory, like when he was playing like crowds and Trump Taj Mahal, and it was like, right. But the thing about Yon, and he still gave it his all, though, it was crazy. But I remember like driving up there, and, a cr- and I'm like, what am I doing? I mean, no one is going to ever watch a documentary on this, you know? <laughs> and I remember my friends going, dude, you got to get back to New York. What are you doing? You know, you gave up your advertising career, you know? You're <laughs> like, I don't know, I just feel strangely driven to do this. <laughs> Uh, and, and, and the funny thing, at the time, I, I wasn't married. I was dating my, my, now, my wife, Susie, and, like, she, she must have thought I was insane, but she <laughs> stuck with me. But I can't imagine. She's like, what, what is this guy's obsession with this polka guy? I mean, no, right. one, no one even thought it would be a successful documentary, much less mm. turn it into a movie. So Right. Yeah. So, it's, so I guess it, 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 it's probably a good feeling now to look back on that and be like, oh, that time was worth it. Yeah, and, and maybe like, I don't know if you believe in fate or whatever, but you wonder why you were so driven to do something like that really seems so stupid <laughs> or so, <laughs> mean, you know, not stupid. But I just felt that, that, that there was something in the story, and I just like had to – get it down but yeah now when you look back you're like wow it was all definitely worth it <laughs> you know <laughs> but at the time there were times really i was like oh, what am i doing especially as a year's you know when it was getting two and a half years into it and they're like oh you're still working on that polka thing right <laughs> you <know? laughs> and you moved out to because then i moved out to pennsylvania because of it you know because it was taking so long i ended up moving yeah. leaving manhattan and people were like what are you doing <laughs> it's pretty <laughs> funny <laughs> yeah it worked out now, uh, bef- before we uh, we go further, I want to make sure I get this to Gerard here. Did you uh, did you see any interesting comments or anything from anybody that uh, wanted to talk about? Well, the next thing I wanted to get into is uh, this. That Wonka bar is really good, by the way. I don't know if it exactly tastes like a Wonka bar, but I, I can't say I've had one in a long time. But it's it's quite good. What did you think of the IPA? Very good. 
It's very hoppy, but it's good. I like hoppy. Mm-hmm. It's not too hoppy. No, it's got a, a little That's bit of a bite, thing. but not not too much. No, I like it a lot. Um, yes. The, uh, the interesting thing about the uh, the movie is that I think a lot of people were, when they heard about it being in production, oh, it's going to end up in a movie theater, or whatever. Now it's on Netflix, and it's a Netflix exclusive, so they're they're you know it, it's going to premiere on there. Right. Maybe eventually we'll get some kind of. Uh, screening or showing or something like that but i would think that netflix is really going to have it as an exclusive yeah i don't time. think i don't think it's going to screen in theaters i mean i think you know from what i understand it's you know and that's kind of the way the model of the whole industry is moving like if you go out to sundance it's like netflix and amazon buying everything up you that's know? that's like, what i wanted to talk about because like, you know viewers habits have changed so much you know and like you know it seems like people aren't going to go to the theater to see a small indie comedy they're right. going to go see star wars or they're going to see you know the spec, you know, the comic book movies, but I, sure. I, I think, he's, I think, I mean, there's a reason why they didn't release it right. theatrically. You know, I guess they just felt it wasn't wasn't worth it. You hmm. know, so, um, but yeah, yeah, you know, Netflix bought it out of Sundance. I know they shopped it around. I know Jack Black really wanted it to be theatrical. I mean, but you know, that's I, I think it's a changing nature of the game, which is cool. And which is great is because of the movie, our doc, because our documentary had played on Netflix for years. Yeah. But then everything died down, and like it, it, it wasn't on there anymore. And um, because of the movie, they re-upped it. They re, repurchased the rights. I was going to say. So now, if if you're interested in this documentary and you haven't seen it yet, which if you haven't, I don't know why you've been sleeping so long on this. It's a it's a, it's a great watch. Um, it will be on Netflix the same day as uh, the Poker King. So yeah, that's that's pretty cool too. Is Three year options. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of, yeah. I think it would be cool. And I do recommend you see the movie and then see the doc because I think the doc does go into delves a little bit deeper into the darker elements. Yeah, which you had kind of talked about the dark side of it. And there is right. the dark side. It's not just the victims, but it's you know the Yan Luan story himself. I mean, there's. Trage- there, there are other tragic elements to it that I don't want to talk about and give away, but I mean, like light, like life-ending and life-threatening tragic elements to it. That right, just, right, know, yeah. There's a whole other. It's aspect. a crazy story. Like it really has all these elements that are just like you know. At some points, it's just insanely absurd and it's mm. insanely dark. Now, do you, do you like this direction? I mean, just as a general opinion, do you like this direction that you know, uh, with more people releasing movies through Netflix and people kind of staying home as opposed to going to the theater? Is that something that you? You particularly are fond of, or, or you know, I gotta say, well, personally myself, I find myself going to a theater less and less, so I can't. Really, yeah. You know? <laughs> well, I think with, I think the reason for that too so much is today, you know, you can have a wonderfully large, flat screen TV, an incredible sound system, and you can really apply. I mean, you're not going to get for really for like 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 a Blade Runner or something. I'm in yeah. a theater for that. There's no way, you know. Sure. But I, I can understand it, you know, prices and everything, and and mm-hmm. I, I do understand. It. I think. Uh, in terms of the access to so many films via streaming and everything is great, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, I do kind of think it's sad. Like I said, I, I do miss the idea of fi- actual films being projected and this and that. And, right. But, um, you know, I'm not going to – I really can't be a hypocrite. I, I stay home a lot. And I'm, like, <laughs> I'm like, eh, I'll catch, it. I'll catch it when it comes out. You know, right. so I'm just as bad. I'm just like anyone else, you know? Well, you know, it's it's funny because uh, we we always joke on the show a lot about uh, you know Northeast PA and the uh, the kind of cynicism that seems to be around here. Everybody complains about anything, even if something good happens. Some you know you, you go to the comment section on any news site in the area, you're going to find people who have nothing to do but complain about it. And so I thought it was funny when uh, I, I shared the link around a lot when uh, you know the movie finally had a premiere date and it was going to be on Netflix and stuff like that. And one of the first things I saw pretty prevalently in some of the comments were people going, 
oh, it's, it's on Netflix, so I wanted to go to the theater and see it. I can't believe that it's going to be on that. Only you would complain <laughs> about it coming to your home and streaming on your own television and not having to go out, not having to pay, you know, twice as much, three times as much to go yeah. see the same movie. Like, it's, only Northeast PA would complain about it's that. It's seen as a failure. <laughs> Although, you know... Although, although I, you know, I'm not going to lie. We were all disappointed that it wasn't in theaters. Sure. I mean, you know, my brother's like, it's, it's going to be in movies, right? <laughs> and he's in Chicago. Yeah. You know? But uh, and I know Jan was very disappointed about it. And I told him, like, you know, this is kind of the new model. You know, I mean, it's kind of like, you yeah. know, uh, there's a lot of really decent films. I mean, when I was out in, in Sundance when this played, and this was like a, a, a real top film to go see, but uh, mm-hmm. Jenny Slate's other film, Landline, was a big, big Go see, and that got picked up by, um, I think I picked up by Amazon. You know, again, didn't get in theaters. Right. So, I mean, that seems to be the new model. Yeah, I think they're getting over the notion that it's a failure real quickly because the new model is just streaming. I mean, and it's not even new. I mean, it's, it's really, it's five years, you know. The, the fact that you see them promoting the film uh, heavily the promoted. show tonight. Yeah, heavily promoted. You know, and the Today Show, I think they're going to be on tomorrow. Yeah. So it's it's very clear that this is not something that they're trying to like. I'll oh, just quietly put it away. Yeah, it used you know, to be. Really yeah, well, it used to be right. It used to be that uh, went direct to video. Right, right. You know, yeah, now and that was a failure. Right. But no, it's not anymore. Netflix. I mean, the, the, the press on this, I was shocked by. I mean, it's, I mean, billboards in L.A. I mean, people in L.A. have shown me, sent me shots. Friends of mine, they're like, "Holy crap, it's on!" You know, yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's just the new way of doing it. It's not a way. It's not really a failure. It's just it's the changing uh, the way that people you know you know digest and watch films and especially with a, a movie like that that's so quirky and maybe a little interesting to market uh this is a better way to do it because then you're not paying so much overhead to get it in the theaters yeah and, you know pay the theaters to have it in there and yeah. hope that it you know breaks even on that yeah that it's interesting i i still do think they should have done a release uh a limited release in, in big markets i mm-hmm. think just i don't know it would have been interesting i wish they would have mainly because contractually i had it that uh we got a free of flight to the la premiere or new york <laughs> premiere so <I> just, yeah. <laughs> the fact that that didn't happen <laughs> right i'm like oh come on i could have got a red counterfeit thing that was in our contract for that but um yeah uh, but no, I, I, that would have been fu- it. Would have been fun to have it in theaters, you know. And it is cheaper now. I mean, they don't make prints anymore. They just do send a digital thing out. You know, it used to right. be they had to make prints for all these theaters. Yeah, it exactly. cost a lot more money. So, so was the Sundance premiere fun? I'd imagine. That oh was yeah, it was cool. really fun. It was a lot of fun. It was just because <laughs> all the cast was there. They did like a Q and A. Oh yeah, everyone right? was there, and it was cool to see. And then they had a party afterwards. I was talking to the oh, producer, cool. and then um, uh, yeah, it was it was really fun. And Sundance is just. It's a, the town's awesome. I mean, it's ridiculous, and it's like, uh, and it snowed the whole time. <laughs> it was like idyllic. It was really fun. It was a hoot, a hoot. Well, um, the other, the other thing I, I don't want to you know focus the whole time on that. Uh, I do want to talk a little bit about uh, some of the other projects that you've done too. Uh, one thing that you know I I I, I like. Uh, I like a lot of, you know, B-movies and cheese and stuff like that. So when I saw Troma, I was like, what? Troma? Did you see the, did you watch the Deviants? I have not seen the Deviants. Oh, you didn't prep for this show. I I know, I would love to see it. I'm going to have to go pick it up now. Is it uh, something you can get on DVD? No, you can stream it. You can stream it? Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, then I will I will have to do I think you can stream it on Vimeo, actually. So the, the Deviance takes place in northeastern Pennsylvania. Did you uh, shoot it here, too? Well, the Deviance is a funny story. That's that's it, It's kind of funny because on IMDb it looks like I did it two years ago. But no, um, mm-hmm. Deviance was our thesis feature film 
for NYU. We were first. Okay. We were the first and last to ever do a thesis film as a feature because they banned it after we did it. <laughs> Because we lied, basically. We, we, we turned in – you were only supposed to do short films. We turned in two dummy short film scripts hmm. and, so we, and, and, and then went off and did a feature film because we are like, you know, screw it. And we got a, we got a, a Panavision grant worth like $100,000 at the time. We shot a 35-millimeter film. And because, again, I said I had relatives in Hazelden, we looked around and like you could get so, – you could like get a, a – <laughs> we shot around McAdoo and Hazelden back in 1994. Okay. Yeah, it was the summer of '94. I'm totally, <laughs> totally aging myself, but um, and it was supposed to be like the Big Chill meets John Waters, or like the mm. Big Chill goes to hell. It was like this ridiculous, totally white trash <laughs> story, and um, shot with a Panavision Gold package, which would cost four thousand dollars a day to rent, mm. and we had it for a month, and they gave it to us for free, so that was like the hundred thousand dollar grant. But it was all student crew, and um, yeah, so what happened was that was back in the day in the indie explosion, and we did the film. But back then, you had to have a print. It got into festivals. It started getting into festivals. They loved mm. it. I mean, it was kind of like a the era of Clerks and everything, like the Kevin Smith. Okay. It was very in your face and everything. It's kind of a little bit ahead of its time. It's a little bit because um, it's just the humor is very you know you know kind of a little bit out there. But um, we uh, we could never get we we needed like fifty thousand dollars to get a print made. And we just had run out of money. Like we had like maxed out credit cards, we maxed out the grants and everything. And so had to drop out of all these festivals. It's kind of a shame. It's so weird how it was back then. Now you could just do a digital copy, you know, sure. and it would have an HD. What kills me is the only copy we have now. And if you go and view it, it, got, it, it ended up get, getting picked up, which is a long story. We could have had it out there years ago, but we waited um, because we wanted it to get in theaters, and we came close to Sony Pictures Classics picking it up. Oh wow! But they said they could, didn't know how to market it. Because uh, it, they said, we love it, but it's just so, it's just so, like, no one, it's bad behavior, gets unpunished. And it was before the Farrelly brothers and all that, so they just, uh, we just, okay. we, and if you don't know how to market it, then you're kind of dead. So yeah. we had a lot of direct-to-video offers then, but then, but th see, that used to be kind of a failure kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And then the producer and I had a disagreement, so I just set it on its shelf, and then, um... Years later, we just kind of like said, let's just res resuscitate it. And then uh, yeah, Troma said, oh, yeah, we'll put it out, <laughs> which I think is perfect for Troma films. Oh, totally. It's ridiculous. It's probably the, the highest quality um, production value of any Troma film out there, actually. <laughs> but this, they, what kills me is if I could get an HD scan of that negative, that's like 4K. Mm. I mean, you know, but we're locked into uh, like an SD master from back in the day. But, you know, it's uh, fun. Yeah, but it's fun. It's, 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 a goo it's a goofy film. I'm glad it's out there. But, okay. Yeah. So it, it was literally a student project, which, if you look at it, pretty ambitious. 35-millimeter feature film. Yeah. <laughs> you should check it out, though. I it's funny to see the, the, um, the locales from the time yeah. you know, in 94. Like, there's one thing with the gas station. I think, like, uh, oh, I, forget, it's like I forget it's like a dollar two a gallon or something. <laughs> it's, like, really funny. So it definitely dates it right there. Yeah, well, the display. way I fixed that was I, I did a little remaster of it, and I mm -hmm. just go, the year is 1994. So it's set in 1994. Oh, okay. So right. there you go. Now it's, we <laughs> shot it last year. It's a historical piece. Right. <laughs> uh, now, you also do some uh, some stuff with uh, WVIA now. Yes, I'm a multimedia content producer with WVIA, and I was really brought along because because of my advertising background, I was really brought on to kind of shore up their corporate, the corporate, you know, the corporate side of things. Because the bottom line is, you know, PBS all around the country, they can't just survive on, you know, funding from government sources anymore. They have to, like, you know, make money also uh, from corporate clients. So I do a lot of that. But um, the goal on both our sides is to kind of, like, shift into a lot more documentary content. I mean, this year I did a, uh, you know, they had the Ken Burns Vietnam 
Right, which was very popular. A lot of people talked about. Yeah, that. and we did a we did a series which I, I thought was really great. We did a series of short short films that because our whole goal is to kind of take national content and tie that into local, mm -hmm. you know, local themes and content. And everything now is kind of starting to go more towards web based and short form content. So um, we did a series of short 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 documentaries, <laughs> all thematically linked to the Vietnam War. And I did mm -hmm. one that was a. Based on uh, the wall, the wall. They have a traveling wall exhibit that came to Swordsville, actually. Yeah, yeah. And um, I did one on that, which I was really proud of. I really like six minutes, really short, sweet, but really cool. And so I was able to flex the old doc muscle <laughs> there a little bit <laughs> after doing a lot of corporate stuff. And then this year we want to do more and more of that. And the whole goal is to get start doing a lot more content, almost like a Vice kind of model, hmm. and behind you know, you know on the web because that's the way people are. People are viewing it, you know, and so Absolutely. I'm kind of my goal is to start doing that more and more with them. And we want to like, you know, I think this area is rife with just great stories, great characters. And I love my whole thing with documentaries is I love um, great stories, but I also love characters, like quirky characters. I think characters alone, you know, and I don't know if you've seen some of my other short. Did you see the Chief Mooney one I did? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, that's that. a character. It's, on I mean, it's like character becomes story. You it know? is. And, yeah. And, I love that. I did also did one on um, the Chef Lou, who was kind of a little celebrity chef down with YLN in uh, oh, okay. Hazleton, which is um, – I, I love characters like that. And so I think this area is so filled with it. I mean all this region. So um, that's kind of my goal is to kind of mine that a little bit more mm. in this upcoming year and kind of like balance the advertising work and the corporate work with you know, documentary work. You know, um, I was actually – you know, I, I think people have this wrong impression – of because WVIA is like a PBS thing and stuff like that. Oh, it's kind of like stiff and boring and that kind of stuff. But they're producing some really interesting, really good content. Well, definitely check us out on the web and like check out like um, they're yeah. very progressive in that sense because a lot of you know and I've talk, I've preached this a million times on here so I won't do it again but uh, they're very progressive when it comes to putting that kind of stuff out there because. A lot of the local media around here doesn't seem to understand that model yet and doesn't seem to get that. And WBIA is kind of ahead of that curve. Well, we're really and, – and that's really our big goal is to start start and, and, and I've been I, I've been pushing it and and, and so are the, the, the leadership there. They, they, they've been really wanting that and that's that's the model really kind of like taking over mm -hmm. throughout the country. And, and it's really kind of – you look at Vice. I mean it really is the Vice model. I mean they've proven that you can do documentary – Cutting edge, really cool documentary content just for web, and that's right. where you know you know young people are going to look at this, and that's where I go to look at you know projects. And you know, long form is still great, but you know you can get a lot done in in in, in a short amount of time. It's a real challenge to get things done. And, and short form docs are very almost like kind of a challenge, and it's fascinating to be able to pull it off, and it, it can be done. You know, and like. I think yeah. With the, look, check out the Vietnam series that we did, where we had several multimedia producers at the at the at the station create you know uh, content for this, and uh, I think it was really successful. I think we're going to keep doing that. There's a thing coming up called American Creed, which is um, it's a PBS initiative where they're basically trying to say what may, you know we're all about everything's so divisive now, and everyone's it's the polarity, and so this is trying to say well what still binds us together as a country? I mean, do we still mm. not have some shared values? I mean, what is it that made us Americans and what made us have this shared vision and can't we like kind of somehow recoup that and focus on that and not everything that's dividing us? And that's kind of the next initiative. And so, again, at VIA, we're going we're gonna to do a town hall about it. We're going to do, um, we're talking to, um, you know, lo local leaders in the area about it. We're going to do, again, a bunch of short docs mm. tied into it. And that's kind of the uh, mode rolling forward where we're going to try to – any kind of national initiative that comes down, we're going to tie into that locally and yeah. say how does that affect us here, And which I really like. And that gives it an 
you know, a real opportunity to do great, you know, original content and documentary content. So I'm kind of excited about that, actually. So anybody who's looking to produce this type of stuff, uh, whether they want to produce a feature length or they want to do something smaller like you're talking about, uh, what kind of advice would you give people for getting into that kind of stuff or people who are relatively new to it who maybe don't know much about it? Like they think it's a cool idea but maybe don't know how to get yeah, it. Yeah, I mean with short, short for, I definitely start short. Mm. Do not say, don't do like what <laughs> I did and say, I'm going to do a feature length documentary. It'll take a long time, a lot of money. <laughs> or you could do it. I mean, it worked out. But um, yeah. I wish I had done a few shorts beforehand because mm. there were also things like just very simple things that like I totally now with experience would have done differently Yeah, a lot. Um, but I would find, you know, there's two types of, st it seems like, it's either the big story where it's like, you know, uh, you know, up in, up in Dimmick, the water has been poisoned by natural <laughs> gas. That's a story, right? Right. But there's also a story. There's like your neighbor down the street who, uh, you know, makes funky, weird birdhouses and like, you know, blah, blah. You know, there's, yeah. there's – I would start with – start like looking around yourself and, uh, you know, in your circle of friends or, or people you know or your – how about your grandpa or whatever, you know? Mm. Is there something interesting there to mine and see if you can like, you, you know, focus strictly on something about that and how can you build on that or whatnot? I mean I would say if you're just starting – start small right. and, you know, try to like, you know, technique. And when it comes to technical stuff, audio is very, very important. Do not – I mean <laughs> audiences will forgive bad video before they'll forgive bad audio. So yeah. just watch YouTube, take a class, whatever. Yeah. Good audio is very important. Obviously, I think good camera work is important. But people – you know, with Verite stuff, people will forgive visuals much, much more quickly than they will, uh, you know, uh, audio. So that's a technical thing. Yeah. If you're going to do a long-form piece, I'd really try to get some funding. And the thing that didn't exist – during my day with the Polka King was Kickstarter and all that and oh, GoFundMe. Right. Yeah. You know, that was never a, you know, <laughs> may, you know maybe that would have been something I could, <laughs> could have made some money off of. But Yeah, you, you get, yeah. get enough yeah. people interested. I mean, some of the stuff that gets funded on there, I'm always surprised. Yeah. Like, wow, yeah. I can't believe there's that much of an interest. Yeah, I mean, that's a whole other thing we didn't even, didn't even think to talk about. I mean, the, the whole funding revolution is really right. great. So if you have a great idea, yeah, you know, go for it. But I would start small and just try to do a few short docs, see if you can, you know, see how it works. Um, before you jump into a feature. <laughs> but, you know, I didn't do that, so. <laughs> but I did have years of, like, I, you know, I went to film school and all that stuff. I mean, if you, don't, if you haven't had any training or whatever, I would definitely try to get a little training in the equipment. But there's great equipment now. I mean, you could literally shoot on your phone. You could probably make a great doc. Right. I wouldn't totally recommend it. You could get a DSLR, but. Sure. Yeah, yeah. So what's what's next for you? Uh, you talked a little bit about uh, what you'll be doing next for WVIA. Is there anything else? Any other projects or things of interest that I do have an indie on? screenplay that I've been wanting. It's kind of a found footage thing, which I've been trying to. Uh, I need to rewrite. I need to <laughs> find time. But uh, yeah, it's really kind of finding. And I'm actually looking for the next big idea. I had a few things uh, kind of fall through that I was working on, but unfortunately they fell through for uh, reasons beyond my control. But um, yeah, I'm kind of looking forward to this year. We'll see what happens. Awesome. Never know. It's, did uh, any 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 of you uh, any of you folks want to talk about anything before we go? Because uh, we have uh, <laughs> it, got one from uh, the charming beards uh, uh, complimenting my shirt that they gave me. Thank you awesome. for that, by the way. If any of you bands out there want to provide me, I will be your human billboard and will gladly wear your shirt all over the place. You Anybody who knows me knows I live in t-shirts, so if you want to give me your t-shirt, I will definitely wear it. 
You need to grow a charming beard, though. Yes, I need I need a beard to go with it. It's funny because it wasn't it was pointed out to me uh, uh, by the singer uh, Katie, the guy who designed this shirt. Uh, this is essentially him as a cat. Like he's one of our photographers, and it didn't occur to like I saw it. I thought, oh, that's a cute image or whatever. But it's it's uh, you know a, a cat with a beard. If you can't see it, and uh, it looks just like him, which was pretty funny, but. Uh, uh, that, that I, I think I think uh, I think we covered a lot of ground uh, for for an hour. Awesome. So uh, you know I appreciate everybody who uh, who tuned in tonight. Uh, if you enjoyed the show, uh, please share it with your friends uh, and let people know about it. Uh, more and more and more as as uh, social media continues to become more and more popular, people also want to profit a little bit more and more. So Facebook really limits stuff unless you pay for it. And obviously we don't always have the budget to do that. So would love if you guys could share this video after it's over. Uh, would also, it'd also be on YouTube and uh, SoundCloud and iTunes and all that stuff as an audio form. So please share it on there as well. And, uh, and, and follow this guy because I'm sure you've got plenty yes. of stuff going on do you uh, you should create a uh, like a, a page or something you know what you can definitely go just google vimeo john mccoolick mm-hmm. and might you can see some of my short talks and whatnot i should like actually have a separate page but uh, yeah i don't i should from yeah. just my work yeah you're right you're right <laughs> i'm falling short on social media yep, got it. <laughs> i do have i do i do have vimeo and all that stuff but. As, as if there's not enough things for you to follow I know. already but yeah right um, you know I think they like some of my short talks. So Chief Mooney got like about 13,000 hits on YouTube with like no promotion. He's very on PC, but uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we've, a- we've had a, We've premiered a few uh, documentaries. Uh, we worked with a guy, Kenny Locke, uh, who did the, an opioid epidemic documentary okay. and a couple of stuff like that. And he's just starting out in that. He's just trying to kind of find his way and yeah. find his voice yeah. and stuff like that. But we were able to, you know, get him up till past ten thousand views and stuff oh, within cool. a few weeks. So he's uh, he's cool. doing some good stuff, and I, I think there's a lot of people who are kind of taking that model and running with it. So hopefully, we'll see a lot more of that kind of stuff. As we well, I can give you some links even afterwards if you want to post them to like. Yeah, I would love to. Yeah. I would love to, to get some of that stuff out yeah, there. So cool. check out nepacene.com. We'll have uh, more more content like that uh, coming up. So uh, thank you so much for everybody who tuned in tonight. And, uh, and watch the live broadcast. Uh, we'll, we will see you uh, next week. Have a good night. Everybody.